You're listening to Between the Pages, a book club podcast that focuses on books written for young readers. Our book club panel is made up of a rotating roster from the staff of Camp Half-Blood, Austin Branch. To learn more about Camp Half-Blood and Between the Pages, visit us at between-the-pages.org. This week, we're tackling Chapter 2 of The Lightning Thief. I'm Moises Chuyan, your moderator. Joining me, as always, is our founder and creative director, Topher Bradfield, whom you just heard reading the whole first chapter of The Lightning Thief. Topher, we've doubled the size of our panel since last week, so please introduce our fine book fiends who've joined us. We've got a great crew. Joining me is Adele Spears and Bailey Moore and Joe B. We are so happy to have all three of you here. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) And uh, joining us again, uh, of course, Mr. Hector Leal. Hey, Hector, how's it going? Hey, going well. Before we jump in discussing uh, the the further adventures of Percy Jackson, uh, I figure we should start with our uh, with our new panelists and get a little bit of an idea as to their relationship with the book and so on. Uh, to kick things off, I think we'll go with Adele. What is your origin story with this book? When did it first find its way into your hands? What does it mean to you? I started with the book um, honestly. Whenever I started working with Camp Pathblood, um, I didn't want to come in unprepared, and I was ready for you know just plotting through a YA book Um, and I started with the first book and then finished with the first book a few hours later and then started on the second book and then it was you know five o'clock in the morning and I had finished almost the full first series and (laughs) realized I should probably sleep sometime soon and fell in love with the entire line of these books Um, and I was an adult I was you know, in my 20s, and you forget that it's supposed to be a young adult novel. You forget because it's so accessible for any age, and it's not pandering to the young adults. It's very easy to get into, and it's just a good story. Aside from Percy, do you have a favorite character from the series? Uh, and we assume that people have read at least the first book if they're listening to this. So uh, anybody who, who pops up over the course of the first book that you particularly love, Adele? Um, honestly, I really like Grover um, because he's awkward and he's anxious and <laughs> he's funny and I am awkward and anxious. And I really like to think that I'm funny uh, I miss the mark you, a you lot. Are. You, we we <laughs> confirm that you're hilarious. That, okay. We know that. Yeah. Um, and no, he's just, he's a joy uh, to read. And and he adds a lot to a lot of the situations. Um, and he keeps, he keeps things light. And he keeps, he keeps a lot of the exposition going. Uh, Bailey, what is your origin story with the, the Percy Jackson series, The Lightning Thief and so on? Where, where, how far back does it go for you? All right. Well, um, I grew up loving Greek mythology, probably instilled in me by my mother. Um, Things like Percy Jackson was not around at that time, so um, I I read whatever I could get my hands on in the library. And when I was in college, my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, um, he had gone through all of the Harry Potter series, and he was looking for something else, and he's the one that discovered Percy Jackson, and recommended it to me. Um, And I I read the first book, and I have to say, initially, it did not really resonate with me, especially, like, right after reading Harry Potter. But over time, like, it really grew on me, and the, 
I love the fact that it has made Greek mythology like something really cool for younger readers and to explore that world of that mythology. And in, in the more and like over time, I've grown to love the books. Is there a character other than Percy that you're uh, particularly attached to that you like a whole lot? I'm rereading it again, and I'll probably make some discoveries as I go through, but I would agree with Adele. Like, I, Grover really is the most endearing character. Joe, how far back does this book go for you? What does it mean to you? Well, it's like, <clears throat> be, as, be as passionate as humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, um, I've been reading since a very young age, and that being said, um, as far even as far back as the Harry Potter series, this this whole I won't I won't say trend, but what I consider a genre of of books that'll basically chronicle the life of a character and their friends, you know, coming of age or what have you. There's something all oh, there's always going to be timeless about a coming of age story. So it's like whereas you have the popularity of some series versus the others with Percy Jackson, the series itself. Grounded isn't the word I'd use. It's a bit more, there's something about Percy's character and his life that's a bit more closer to home. I had heard of the books and then I had eventually saw the film, but I didn't really, really, really develop an appreciation until until my time at Camp Half-Blood. You know, not just taking on the, the personas and everything, but seeing the life in the children's eyes as they talked about the characters as they, you know, embraced, you know, took on the moniker of Half-Blood, no matter who or what they were, they were already, they were, they weren't in persona. They, for about, for a few weeks, they got to be who they really were. And that's something I've not seen, I haven't seen that much admiration for any, with respect to the other coming-of-age series, you know, anything from, um, the Hunger Games to Harry Potter or even, um, you know, the Maze Runner series or what have you. With these books, there are kids in this day and age who literally are half-bloods, who have felt that way. And, I mean, if we're talking about, that's why, that's why I love the character of Mr. of Mr. Bruner so much. Mm -hmm. Because you always have that, um, you've always, throughout your life, you're always going to have that one person in your life who sees you in a way nobody else does and they don't necessarily coddle you but they treat you in a way to where they're trying to egg the re pull the rest of you out of yourself like they see you mired underneath that doubt and and that lack of development and they're telling you they're championing the the hero in you and trying to bring it out and not taking it easy on you so that you rise to the challenge and come out of yourself and there you are you are who you already were we have a bully who's a girl. When was the last time you had a, a boy being bullied by a girl in a book? Not only that, we actually have two, in fact. Yeah, two. <laughs> we have two. Two. two in the first five chapters, yeah. How do we feel about the roles uh, that women get to play in the book? It's interesting because, you know, growing up in the 90s, um, one, there wasn't as much YA as there is now. Um, and as a reader who voraciously read books, um, I didn't find many books where the protagonist was a girl. And so I found myself always relating, relating to the male, male characters, and, and that led to a, a lot of harmful uh, self-image stuff, like, and, and the way I projected onto other girls and other women, saying that like, girls and women are interesting because they're not represented in books as being interesting or powerful. 
Whereas the protagonist is, is, is still a boy in this, there are some really powerful female roles, um, like Annabeth, for instance. And, and I think that's why, like, you know, a lot of the campers that we have coming to Camp Half-Blood, and this has changed a lot over time, like, because of how much we've added to the world in, in Camp Half-Blood at, at, in, in Austin. Um, but initially, like, so many of the girls were so disappointed when they weren't, when they weren't claimed as a child of Thena. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's mainly due to how powerful Annabeth is in these books. Because, you know, here's, here's this really awesome girl that, that they can relate to and feel excited that, that, that this character is in this book. And they do have some of the the mean girl sort of esque you know characters come in um like like one would expect um and and at first i was like ah god really at the same time girls in the in the aphrodite cabin get their power and are so sure of themselves in that almost mean girl status that you know, not even a few pages into into reading those characters, I was like, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, you get it, girls. <laughs> like, I was even, at, when, when they first, you know, encountered those characters, I was like, ah, oh, man, like, could could not we have, I was more okay with the with the girl being the, the bully, even whenever she was described as, like, almost butch-like, and, like, you, you made the girl the bully, and then she was described as, like, a dude. And I was like, so so the girl is the bully, and she's a dude. You know, like, she's so, you made her so butch, and you made her so, like, tank-like, that, like, she's not even a girl anymore. So you you wrote a guy, but gave her a girl name. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and then, on the other hand, is all the Aphrodite girls, and they are so ultra-feminine that those are the only two sides of the coin. But reading how how those are written it was not surface level writing on those they are not surface level that's not all they are and the writing on all of those characters goes so much deeper into them that not like oh now it's okay but it fleshes them out so much more that it's it, it, I don't know. It made it, it made it really nice. You almost you start with that that impulse of oh I know exactly what they're doing and then he ends up subverting your expectations. Exactly. By the exactly. Yeah, Rick, Rick was really really good at giving you that 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 surface level look, that really high level look on those characters, and you go ooh, yeah. And then over the course of the series, they become such deep and profound characters. Yes working through traumas and all sorts of things that inform who they are. And, and so the character development on all of them is, is wonderful. So we are, we're jumping into chapter two. The quest has begun and what form it's going to take from here, I guess we find out rather quickly. Uh, so Topher, what, what's, our, what's our, our chapter heading for chapter two? Chapter two, three old ladies knit the socks of death. So good. <laughs> so, so also, good. just as a side note here, uh, you say that no one remembers the algebra teacher, but Percy well, at Percy, least is Percy pretty does. sure that yeah. Grover does too. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where are we going from here, Topher? Well, um, 
we have Percy wondering if he's going crazy still. I mean, you know, basically doubting himself. Uh, nobody remembers, um, you know, Miss Dodds. So he's kind of wandering around in a daze, which you would expect. Uh, he's, he's fairly certain that um, he's bombing out of school again. And then we get to this lovely scene where he's outside Mr. Bruner's office and he overhears a conversation. You guys want to talk about that at all? Because um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful kind of revelatory scene. I'm assuming you're talking about where Grover and mm. Mr. Bruner are talking. They're having a conversation about Percy in Mr. Bruner's office. Right. So he's got these, these two people, his best friend and like the only teacher he likes and who seems to like him. Right. Talking about him behind his back. And like, even, I don't remember if they actually say his name in that conversation, but even if they don't, they do? But even if they hadn't, even if they hadn't, like, people in general tend to know when you're talking about them behind their back. Kids especially are pretty good at picking up on oh, that, yeah, you know? Nice. And I think it has more of an effect on them. And, and it's going to have more of an effect on Percy because he's already questioning so much right now. Right, and and that's one of the things I notice is that, of course, when someone's talking about you behind your back at any age, you're going to be upset. You're going to take you're going to take off with that. But he was just happy. It seemed like he was just happy that he wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know... And then on top of that, not only do I know I'm not crazy, but these these two people are talking behind my back with regards to my welfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he there's that one passage in here that that really hits, um, and and that's that's Mr. Bruner um, saying that we need the boy to mature more, and it's just that. Ugh, that, that sort of gut punch of mm, I'm dyslexic, not, I'm ADHD, I'm not normal, I'm not enough, yeah. Right. Well, also, it's it's got to be a, a really strange feeling for him to hear his best friend Grover talking to his favorite teacher about him in this way that, you know, you don't expect so, a, a peer. And seems to very be, adult. Yeah, to be... And uh, seems, seems so much more mature than... Right. Right, and so it's like he has to question his relationship with his best friend as, as well. It seems like his reality, he can't really trust the reality that he's been comfortable living within up until this point. Yeah. Yeah, that whole, you know, you know Grover going, I can't fail in my duties again in reference to Percy, you know, and, and how would you take that? Like, um, I'm deficient in some way, and Grover is somehow failing in his duties? Yeah. <laughs> To be a good friend? What is going on? <laughs> and naturally, as all protagonists in Chosen One stories do, uh, Percy reveals himself. He drops his textbook. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And now they know. They know someone is there, and right. they sure clam up quick. Right. We jump ahead to the next day. Mm-hmm. Latin's a pretty important thing for Percy to be proficient at. Yeah. So we, we dig into uh, to Percy dealing with that he thinks he's overheard, what he can only speculate that he's overheard, mm-hmm. because he, again, doesn't know about all of the weird stuff that uh, that Grover and Mr. Brunner are, are alluding to. How do, uh, Topher, wh- where, where is his head at at this point? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> so, so, you know, Grover is kind of lying on his bed like nothing happened. Uh, and, and... He's making his way to class, and he sees Mr. Bruner, who calls him back in, inside, and basically gives him the, the whole, hey, you know, Percy, don't be discouraged about leaving Yancey. It's for the best. <laughs> and it's, it's like, 
oh, well, poop. You know, like, that's not the best news you can get the, the next day, you know? Right. Well, you're coming from someone that you really admire. Yeah. Like, you'd, you'd want him to say, like, I'm going to miss you. Like, I, I, I think that you could have done this. I'm sorry this is happening. But instead, it's like, yeah, it's for the best. <laughs> Bye-bye. And, and I having, so I have a really bad habit of when I know something more than someone else and I want to impart that news but know that I can't but also want to cheer that person up, I am very bad at doing so. And, and so that whole scene where Mr. Brunner's like, I know you're destined for better things than here and can't quite get that, that conversation oh, yeah. right. And Percy is just getting more and more sad and depressed right. and discouraged. And he's like, no, what I mean is no. And, but I'm sorry that I, I resonated with that so much because I'm like, oh crap, that's me. Oh yeah. my God. Because there's so much more part of that so much more of the conversation that, he can, that he's privy to. Exactly. Yeah. There, I mean, <laughs> there's a physicality written in to the way Mr. Bruner responds <laughs> where, you know, we might be looking down at our shoes and kind of shifting and shuffling our feet and he's rolling back and forth <laughs> in his wheelchair as if to say, it's okay, this probably isn't the best place for you. You know? Um, so, it's just, that's rough. I think yeah. about I think about um and this is re this is me really dating myself but I think about um one of my favorite head movies um Brazil mm. and I think about all how his world is getting more and more Brazil in that sense to where of course that one teacher now honey blah blah, blah mm -hmm. you know gets him behind you know over in close quarters by themselves and suddenly attacks him and his teacher throws him a pen that turns into a sword he cuts him and then he goes back and suddenly it's like all right i'll take my pen back sir go ahead with the other kids i'm like did you not you just you did you saw are, are we not going to talk about this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like what's going on right now like you know i know you know i know that you know <laughs> What we what just happened? You're not just gonna sit here. Necessary guest. All right, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So he's like, he's like the whole time, and like I'm loving when he's like mentioning Mrs. Dye on the slide. Everybody throughout the year, and they're just like looking at him, like, what is? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So now it's 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 summertime, right? So so we're getting ready to leave Yancey for the year. Um, Percy knows he's not going to be invited back, right. and he's getting ready to get on a bus with with Grover to head into the city. Mm -hmm. And um, he has these awkward and uncomfortable conversations with Grover on the way into town. And we get to see the, the three old ladies knitting the socks of doom. These are like, these are socks the size of shirts, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's, it's a wonderful image. What do, what do we know about these socks of doom? What do we what do we assume about these ladies, knowing what we know about mythology? We can say well, that we know that at least one of the socks are going to get lost. Yeah. <laughs> Despite how big they are, yeah, once they go in the dryer, it's just it's gone. You know what I'm saying? Back us up just a second. So you were talking about this conversation we're having yes. with Grover, right? Um, where he actually starts bringing up the conversation that he overheard, and he he's finally getting some explicit confirmation of uh, what's going on here. Um, and this is on the Greyhound back to Manhattan from, uh, from the, uh, the school. Right. And the bus breaks down. 
So everyone gets off, and then just off on the side of the road, there's these three old ladies <laughs> knitting a giant pair of socks. Which, sort of like honestly, were they in the South? That'd be chill. <laughs> because that happens down here all the time. But in New York, in New York, they're not friendly like that. Don't don't approach them. Yeah, if, if it were the Southeast, they'd also be selling boiled peanuts. <laughs> like there would be some some other form of produce. But but yeah, ju- just just as it seems he is broaching this conversation with Grover that he feels uh, he feels they've really got to address. Uh, just so happens that the bus breaks down. Plot device bus breakdown. Huh? What? <laughs> yeah. That's it. Not, yeah. And, and it is the plot device. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Percy's kind of he's going through this thing like, all right, so you're 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 here to keep an eye on me, but like I've been in fifteen fights this school year, <laughs> dude. You did trying to keep bullies right. away yeah, from you. Did. you know? yeah. I just want to know yeah. how um, the three old ladies were knitting two socks together. <laughs> Like, how does that work? Is it two, two ladies on one sock and one lady on the other? Magic. Well, it, magic. Says, magic. well, it does say that the lady on the right knitted one of them, the lady on the left knitted the other, and the lady in the middle held the basket ah, okay. of yarn. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that part. Yeah, because mm-hmm. so. I, 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 too, yeah. was trying to remember that part. <laughs> the no, fruit uh, called uh, the called the fruit stand. One ladies, of them was it. just like, oh. and so uh, <laughs> yeah. and so and so we we have something happen here that uh, that is a, a direct callback to ancient mythology, yes. uh, where this this pair of golden scissors appears, and, and what happens to her? The snipping of the yarn, oh. right? So, so loud. I, I, a couple yeah. things I do want to say about this scene. Um, uh, we've got so Grover is absolutely terrified yes. by this. <laughs> He is mouth agape, eyes bulging out of his head. Percy, on the other hand, is like, there's three old ladies knitting giant socks. <laughs> I think even weird, at, at one but... point he even asks, he's like, he jokes, he's like, hey, you think those socks would fit me? Grover's <laughs> like, like, dude, this is as, serious. As alarmed yeah, yeah. about various things as Percy has been up until this point, he's suddenly very, very calm about this yeah. and yes. just confused. Yeah, That's yeah, just yeah, yeah. regular level and, confused. And then Grover kind of going, hey, man. Make sure you promise to let me walk you home from right, the bus right, stop, right. you know? And, it's and, like... And I believe nobody else really seems to notice them. No. That's right. Right? No. It's yeah. just that. That's right. Yeah. It's just those two. And the whole time, Grover is, basic, Grover is basically like, I can't tell you why this is serious, but you mm-hmm. really need to take it seriously right now. It's very obvious that you need to pay attention that I can't tell you why this is important. <laughs> and Percy does, Percy does get the visual callback himself, because at the end of that chapter... He's looking at Grover going, hey, um, so that snipping of the yarn, does that mean that somebody's going to die? Right. You know, so he, yeah. it's not lost on him. He's calm. And he's just like, okay, let's see. Oh, ladies. Some intuition. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it. it's starting to work. Yeah. And, and then just his, the way Rick writes Grover's response, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at Percy like... He's already dead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> also, I also just want to talk about, like, the overall, just the trademark irreverence yes. that Rick has yes. for yes. the mythology. Because, yes, it's the fates, and they're scowly, and they're they're creepy, and they're ominous. But they're also but a they're, little bit Looney Tunes. Yeah. Well, they're knitting a giant pair of socks. Yeah. On the side and they're electric row. blue. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
it, it's that wonderful mix of just like, yes, this is serious, but it's also absurd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which affords that accessibility that you were talking about yeah. earlier. Though. And let's talk about how mm. the quote-unquote trouble kid is the only one, even in the museum, the quote-unquote trouble kid is the only one that's grasping and is actually fascinated by the whole reason they went on the school field trip in the first place. Right. Grasping and, re- and retaining the information. Exactly. You know, he he's the only one who fascinated, interested in, and remembers the information that was taught in the course in the first place. And that's when I started to like Mr. Bruner towards the end when he's sitting there telling him, okay, so why is this going to be important in life? And he's waiting for Percy to say, like, come on, kids, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we got nothing. All right, kid, go back with the other yeah. kids. All right, go ahead and go back with the other That brings Chapter 2 to a close, but there's a lot more Lightning Thief to discuss. We're still a new show, so please rate and review Between the Pages in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And since we're still new and finding our footing, we wanted to try splitting chapters two and three into separate, shorter episodes. Let us know what you think. If you don't already know how to find us on social media or otherwise, between-the-pages.org is your one-stop shop for everything we do at Between the Pages and Camp Half-Blood, Austin Branch. Before we go, I want to make sure that our resident Olympian, which is quite literally the case here mr d uh, gets a chance to chime in on what he thinks <laughs> okay yeah why not you don't think twerps are going to listen to this and like want to come to camp do you mr d how do you think they could pass up the opportunity to be around your glowing personality we'll be back next saturday with more between the pages thanks for listening